Well, good evening. I, uh, I was trying to find a, a name last night as we closed. That's Ezekiel 14.14. 14. Though Noah, Job, and Daniel, I couldn't think of Job, were there. They could only save themselves. Uh, I, I presume by that statement God was probably saying, those were the three probably most righteous men that had walked the face of the earth up until that point. And I don't know that any have been better since, for that matter. Uh, I thought of John the Apostle. He, he seemed to be uh, quite uh, a righteous man and, uh, and so on. The others, most of them, not much is said about them. Uh, Peter had some difficulties. He was loyal and faithful in various things, but he had things that he had to learn, and everybody has. I mean, even jo- though Job may have not had faults in terms of breaking the law, uh, he still had some attitude there that had to be adjusted by God so that he could get over his self-righteousness and see the righteousness of God in contrast. So nobody's been perfect, obviously, but he picked out three to single out that uh, even as righteous as those three were, they weren't going to save anyone but themselves. <clears throat> anyway, we ro- broke off last night in uh, chapter 5, verse 2, where uh, Pharaoh said, Who is the Eternal? Should I obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Eternal, neither will I let Israel go. Who is this God you're trying to tell me about and sell to me? Uh, We went from there, of course, to Jeremiah 51, where it shows that Babylon refuses to turn us loose, too. So it's a a difficulty we have to do, and I think we can see through this context, as well as we can see through the prophecies of the end time, that it's really all God's operation. There was no way they would have ever gotten out of Mitzrayim on their own. And there's no way we would ever get out of this system and the new system that's coming in on top of it without the deliverance of Almighty God. And even then, it's going to be by a whisker. Because he says, pray that you be accounted worthy to escape these things. So nobody has it made by any means, and it will be through God Uh, any deliverance that we do have. And I think we'll see that right here uh, with Moses and Israel. Right after that, uh, Pharaoh said, well, you guys must have too much spare time if you want to take a vacation and go serve this God, whoever he is. So uh, you've got to make the same amount of bricks, but no straw. You've got to go find your own straw. And, And he made their lives harsher. But when you try to pull out of this system, sometimes life gets more difficult. It's hard to quit going along with the flow and to change our habits and the things we do that are a part of this world. It doesn't come easy. If you've been doing things a certain way for 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years, uh, it, it doesn't come easy to change a lot of habits that things that we need to change, attitudes that we have, ruts that we might have let our minds and emotions get in, whatever. Uh, um, Satan doesn't want to turn us loose, 
and our human nature does not want to do what's good for us, even though we may understand intellectually we need to be here, we need to be thinking this, but our mind wants to go where it likes to go. So uh, that's kind of the story that's played out here. So they laid more uh, jobs on them. In verse 14, the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmaster had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today, and so on? So, of course, the Israelites at this point, predictably, began to get upset, began to rebel. So what did they do? Uh, verse 19, the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case, or things were getting worse, after it was said, you shall not diminish anything from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. So Moses and Aaron had gone to Pharaoh, he had refused, so they struck out there, and then on the way back, uh, they met the Israelites and struck out again. They're 0 for 2 so far this day. Uh, anyway, verse 21, they said to them, The Eternal look upon you and judge, because you have made our Savior to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. They hadn't actually slain them. They had uh, made them produce the same amount of bricks with less benefits, but you know, when you get in a bad attitude, you just sometimes let it get worse and worse <laughs> to the point, well, they're going to slay us. And Moses returned to the eternal. Uh, you know, this is kind of, uh, dad yells at the kid and the kid kicks the dog time. Moses returned to the eternal and said, Lord, wherefore have you so evil and treated this people? Why is it that you have sent me? I said, you know, you said you'd do this, and you haven't. You've had at least 24 hours here to get this done. <laughs> However long time had lapsed, hadn't been very long. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So here you have a, somebody who, a people who don't really know God, and you have a leader who has only really recently been truly introduced to God in the burning bush not long ago and doesn't really have a relationship that much with God yet. So they had questions, they had doubts, they had concerns, and they had bad attitudes from the top to the bottom, it appears. I wonder why God allowed some of the plagues of Mitzrayim to come on Israel before he made a difference. Do we see the lead up here? <laughs> that uh, There were attitudes that needed to be dealt with, and there were things that they needed to change. And uh, God not only didn't deliver them immediately, uh, he made their lives harder by hardening Pharaoh's heart immediately, and then he put them through their paces here for a while. We'll see that. Chapter 6, Then the Eternal said to Moses, Now shall you see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. He didn't say uh, at 2 o'clock, or he didn't say tomorrow. 
And he just said, it's going to happen. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Eternal. In case you didn't get it the first time, Moses, uh, I have something to tell you here. I am the Eternal. And I appeared unto Abraham, am, uh, Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, by his name of, by the name of God Almighty, but by name, by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Or Jehovah is how they put it here. It's Y-H-V-H in the Hebrew, and nobody knows how it's spelled or pronounced. And I think there's a point to be made here in passing about sacred names per se. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob got along pretty good with God, didn't they? Wouldn't you say? And he never appeared to them as Y-H-V-H. So why do you have people now that tell you if you don't use Y-H-V-H or Jehovah that you're not talking to the true God? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were... And that isn't the name they used. So, uh, we, need, we need to keep things in perspective. Uh, I'm always safe, I feel, in addressing him as Father. It's more personal, and that's the name Christ used when he gave us the model prayer to pray, is pray our Father. So, if there's ever any confusion about whether you call him the Almighty or the Eternal or YHVH or or whatever one you want to pick out of the Old Testament, it's real simple. Just call him Father, and and you'll be you'll be on absolute safe ground. You don't have to worry about it one way or another. Our Father in heaven. There'll be controversy, I'm sure, over sacred names until Christ returns. But uh, there doesn't have to be a controversy in our minds. We can we can use various things that he says. Uh, from time to time. Verse 4, And I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. Now, he had already told Moses, remember, that that was one of the things he was take, to take to Israel, was that that was what he was. was he said, mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'll know them. Well, here he's having to re-explain it to Moses patiently and uh, and remind him of the very same thing that he that Moses had used on the Israelites. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel. That's a repeat, too. Whom the Mitzriamites keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. He had told him that right off the bat, I think at the burning bush, or not shortly thereafter. So he's having to repeat it all. Well, sometimes we get in trouble if we repeat things, but, you know, we don't always get things. We don't always... Uh, remember it, nor do we apply it. Uh, it's so easy to let some of his words drop to the ground, and and we can hear it and say, yeah, I, I agree with that, and then we go on as if nothing had happened. So God has to remind, and really that's what the Bible is. It doesn't matter whether you're reading Genesis, Revelation, or anywhere in between, it's the same story wherever you go. It doesn't change. Little different circumstances, different people, same problems, same attitudes, same human nature, uh, same disobedience, same rebellion, same everything. Wherever you go, it's, it's all the same. God repeats it over and over throughout the Bible, hoping somehow, some way, we'll get the point and we will begin to serve Him with all our heart. That's all it is. That's all it is. That's all it's about. 
So anyway, he says, verse 6, Wherefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Eternal, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. He uses that word redeem uh, in the prophecies, and it's used a great deal in the New Testament. Redemption, being redeemed, Christ redeeming us from Satan and the world. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the eternal, your God. Notice how early he starts using that phrase, you shall know that I am the eternal. Uh, uses it back here, uses it all through the prophecies, uh, trying to get us to understand who he is. That was the big issue with Job, actually. Do, do you know who I really am? You know, you think you're nearly as powerful or as good or as righteous as me? Where were you when I did this, that, and the other thing? Did the creating. Don't you know I am the eternal, your God? which brings you out from under the burdens of the Mitzriamites. Well, no, they didn't know that. They didn't get that. They were still rebelling, and Moses hadn't quite gotten it yet either. But he's speaking of it here as if it's a done deal. He speaks of those things that are not as if they already are. We see that in the New Testament. And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Eternal again. And here we sit. God has given us promises and throughout the prophecies that He is going to gather His people, put them together. He shows how He'll provide leadership. He shows where it is. Uh, he gives us inside information. And then it doesn't happen today, tomorrow, or a year after we got here, or whatever, or ten years after we got here, and we begin to doubt and wonder and murmur and complain, and, you know, on and on it goes. The problems of mankind haven't changed since Adam. But God expects us to actually do something about it and begin at some point to believe it just like he expected these Israelites at some point to believe him. So he patiently goes on and says it again. Verse 9, And Moses spoke so to the children of Israel, but they hearkened not to Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Yeah, 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 tell us all about it. Uh, you're not out there making bricks. We are. Uh, you're just so many words, Moses. Uh, this is all... Um, I was trying to think of something on barnyard to say, but uh, you get the point. You don't know what you're talking about, Moses. You know, that, that would be frustrating, really, to go to God and God explains it all to you patiently. Say, oh boy, now I, now I got the message again. I'll take it to the people. And the people say, eh, get out of here. We got to make bricks. Go pray somewhere else. Talk to somebody else. We've had it. So, there, there's some attitudes working here. Chapter 7, the Eternal said to Moses, See, I've made you a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. God's saying, Look, I'm putting you in a very important position here as ambassadors for me to go out there and to accomplish what it is that I intend to accomplish. 
I know we face that issue now in the church. Uh, that issue has been faced since I can remember in the church over 60 years uh, of, uh, well, we don't need ministers or we don't need leaders or God doesn't work through men. And I can, I have contact with God myself. Um, even recently, not too many years ago, people saying, well, I can do the baptizing, I can anoint, I can do this, I can lay hands on people. You don't find it in the Bible that God allows that from anyone. Uh, you see it uh, confined just to the elders. And yet people will twist things around and minimize things and ignore certain scriptures so they can do what they want to do. Uh, but it was the same then. Human nature is always the same way. Uh, they, they wasn't, it wouldn't end here. I mean, if you get on down the line, uh, remember people like Aaron, his brother, who was a prophet before God, and his sister Miriam began to question Moses' authority, and then God really put him there. And this is all, this is just you, Moses. This is all about you. It doesn't have anything to do with us. You take too much on yourself. The probably the oldest or one of the oldest arguments that there is. Uh, Satan used it on Adam and Eve, didn't he? Pretty much. Well, that was that was you don't need God. <laughs> uh, they've softened it somewhat. Now you don't need men. But you know it's it's the same thing when God appoints either Himself or mankind. And, and it's the same thing, really, with Samuel. Uh, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. So when people reject Moses here, they're really rejecting God. When we reject those whom God has sent, then we are rejecting God who sent them. That's the way he looks at it. He said that more than once in Scripture. Anyway, God reiterates then, in verse 5, the Mitzriamites shall know that I am the Eternal when I stretch forth my hand upon Mitzriam and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses was 80 years old and, and Aaron was 83 when this happened. So they'd been in training for quite some time. So the Eternal spoke to Moses, verse 8, and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak to you, saying, Show a miracle for you. You know, let's not hear words from you guys. Let's see some miracles here. Say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And they went before Pharaoh, and he cast his rod down, and became a servant, serpent. And Pharaoh called his wise men, sorcerers, magicians, and they cast theirs down, and they became serpents too. So it gives you uh, some clues early on here that Satan can do miracles through the demons. And there will be lying signs and wonders in the end time by, uh, by the beast and false prophet, particularly, I guess, the false prophet in that context. Uh, and it's hard to know the difference. That's why miracles are not the test of God. Now, to Pharaoh, uh, that was a test. But... Satan and the demons could do the same thing. On the other hand, Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So uh, that, that one came out on one for the good side. 
Verse 14, And the Eternal said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Um, then he was supposed to go back to Pharaoh. And then verse 17, Thus says the Eternal, In this, in this you shall know that I am the Eternal. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in my hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. The fish will die, the river will stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink the water of the river. Uh, so this is the first plague, then, that God pronounces on Mitzrayim. There are people who say it wasn't really blood, it was red tide, or this, that, or the other thing they come up with scientifically. But... Uh, I guess in the bottom line, it doesn't really matter what it was. Uh, I suspect it truly was blood. But if it wasn't, it was still something that caused all the fish to die and the river to stink and they couldn't drink it. So if they try to deny it's a miracle by saying, well, it wasn't really blood, they're ignoring the fact that whatever it was, it had to have been done in such a way that it was clear it was not a natural phenomenon and they didn't have any water to drink. He didn't turn the subterranean water table into blood, so they were able to dig along the river. Uh, they had to work at it and have a seep come in that was still uh, potable. Now in chapter 8, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. Uh, here, they were, went again, let my people go that they may serve me, God says. And if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your borders with frogs. The river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedchamber, upon your bed, into the houses of your servants, and upon your people, and into your ovens, and into your kneading troughs, and they'll come both on you, and on your people, and on all your servants. So he stretched it out, and the frogs came and covered the land. And notice verse 7, the magicians did so with their enchantments, and brought up frogs upon the land. There weren't enough frogs with what God had produced, so <laughs> they brought more. <laughs> That, that that should have made them popular. Uh, of course, the point was, uh, we can do that too. You know, there's, who's this God? We were we were able to make snakes out of rods. We were able to make uh, frogs, just like Moses. I didn't uh, notice here. Uh, they probably did the same thing with the, yeah, verse 22 of chapter 7. They did the same thing with the blood. So, for the first several ones, they could do it. And now he's going to make a separation. Uh, the next one, is uh, well, Pharaoh hardened his heart, verse 14, 15 of 8. And the Eternal said in verse 16 to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Mitzrayim. 
And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. That would be a terrible plague, wouldn't it? I mean, frogs, yeah, they're kind of slimy and you don't like them in your bed, but uh, lice, where the dust turns to lice, and they bite and make you itch and make you terribly uncomfortable. Like I can almost begin to itch just talking about it. Verse 19, Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. He's getting through to somebody at least. <laughs> hadn't gotten through to Pharaoh, hasn't gotten through to the Israelites. He finally got through to the magicians at least. We can't do this one. So the Eternal said to Moses, verse 20, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes to the water and say to him, Let my people go. And if he doesn't, and if you don't do it, I'll send swarms of flies on you. I don't like one fly in the house. I certainly don't like five or six buzzing around my head. What if you had flies as thick as these were? I will send swarms of flies upon your servants, upon your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies. I would say that that probably means so that if you open your mouth to breathe, you'd get flies. I've seen mosquitoes that thick in Alaska uh, where you, you, you literally couldn't breathe without taking mosquitoes into your mouth. And it... it uh, it's a terrible, terrible feeling to be beset with that kind of a, a swarm of insects. I think I've related before how I jumped out of a boat one time with my rifle to chase a black bear into the woods. It was pretty thick in there. Uh, but I, I was willing to chase the bear. But when I got in there, the mosquitoes were so thick I couldn't breathe and the mosquitoes ran me out. I was I was far more upset with the mosquitoes than I was the bear. Uh, when you when you get them that thick, like these flies and lice must have been, it's it, it would be a terrible plague, and they couldn't go anywhere to get away from it. At least I could run, jump back out in the boat, and get out in the water away from the mosquitoes. But they they couldn't do that. Verse 22, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end, I'm going to get my point across sooner or later, that you may know that I am the eternal in the midst of the earth. So, they should have been impressed, should they not, by the story of the rods turning to snakes, by these first plagues that came, that God said, I will do this, and then it happened. Of course, then they heard the rumors of, well, the Egyptians, enchanters could do the same thing. So they still didn't really believe there was a God in spite of these miracles. So now you come down to one where God puts it on just the Mitzrayamites and doesn't put it on the Israelites so that they might begin to see that there is a living God who can do things in different ways. He can protect some and not protect others. We're faced with the same dilemma of truly believing God is God, that He's a living God, 
and that if we obey and pray to be accounted worthy, He truly can preserve us through all that is about to come. And He tells us over and over, don't fear the new world order, don't fear all these people, fear me, obey me, and I will take care of you. Now, if you were Cliven Bundy, and you had all these agents heavily armed around your place, would you become afraid? More than likely. More than likely. Knowing about, in the back of your mind, Waco, Ruby Ridge, 911, Oklahoma City, you know, you could begin to think of these things and know that they've gotten rid of every ranch in Clark County but yours, and now they're all armed and ready to take yours. Uh, that's, a, that's a place that could give you just a little bit of fear, you know, not begin to niggle at the back of your mind that, hey, this could get bad. But God says don't fear them, because they're, they're part of it. They're part of the New World Order and Agenda 21. That's what they're doing. But he says, don't fear it. Fear me. Obey me. I'll take care of you. Do we believe him? How much do we believe him? He says, when the Assyrian comes in our land in Micah 5, that he'll send out some men to confront them, and the Assyrians will turn tail, and many of them will die. Just like they did back in uh, Gideon's day. Do we believe those stories back then? Will we believe them when the Assyrians looking us in the eye with maybe tanks and armored cars and, and uh, jet airplanes that could strafe us in a second? You know? Where's our trust? Where's our faith? Where's our belief? Do we have that level? These people obviously didn't yet, and God kept saying, you're going to know me, you're going to know me. How much is God going to have to put us through before we really know Him? We've speculated as far back as I can remember, the ministry used to, when I was even a child, as far as I know, that uh, they'd go through these stories and say, well, God didn't make a separation for the Israelites until the flies came. First three, they went through. And I've used that myself many times. I don't know at what point God is going to make a separation for us. I don't know how much He'll let us go through. Uh, you know, will we turn tail and get scared and say, forget God? What are you talking about? Uh, I'm in trouble here. At the first sign of trouble, will we run? You know, we might have thought Peter was quite the coward when Christ said, no, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And, oh yeah, sure, no, I won't. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. It's hard. And Christ said, will I find faith on the earth when I come back? It's going to be a very short supply, and very, very few people are going to have that kind of faith. So, God's still working at it here. He's very patient. Very patient. No swarms of flies will be there. Verse 23, I'll put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. So he tells that to Pharaoh as well, you know. Okay, you haven't believed it so far, and you keep hardening your heart. Uh, 
in Goshen won't be any flies, but you're going to get yours. And he did so. And here came a grievous swarm of flies to Pharaoh and all through the land. And flies lay eggs. And then eggs hatch. And, you know, things, things could get really bad here. Verse 25, And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go you, sacrifice to your God in the land. Moses said, It is not fitting so to do. For we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Mitzriamites to the Eternal our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Mitzriamites before their eyes, and will they not stone us? We're going to go out in the wilderness. Uh, that's something to think about, too, when God tells us to get out of the midst of Babylon, go dwell in the wilderness, get away from that influence. Uh, there comes a point where, for a time being, we're not so much a light to the world as we are to get away from the world as much as we possibly can. And then when He blesses, and when He does things for us, which He promises He's going to do, then we'll be a light to the world set on a hill for everyone to see. Meanwhile, uh, it's get away and get out. So, Pharaoh begins to say, okay, you can go, but we got a bargain here. You know, it's going to be under my conditions. Verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the of your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away <laughs> and entreat for me. So he's beginning to say, maybe you do have a God and maybe he can do this stuff. I, after all, I've been breathing flies, or about to. I guess he already had been by this point. And uh, tell God to remember Pharaoh down here, would you? <laughs> I'm not going to turn to him myself. I'm not going to worship him, but but uh, say a prayer for me. So Moses did entreat that the swarms of flies departed. And he did so, and God took the flies away. So as soon as the flies were gone, Pharaoh's attitude changed again. Verse 32, he hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. So while the flies were there, he made a deal and said, all right, pray for me, and asked that these flies go away. <coughs> and they did. And then he had lied. So they come to the next one. Number five, a very grievous murrain upon all the animals. And he'll sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Mitzrayim. There shall nothing die of all that is the children's of Israel, but the Egyptians would have this. I'm not sure exactly what a murrain was, but it's something that caused the cattle to die, some kind of disease that came on them. I never really looked it up to see what it was. I guess it was enough for me just to know that whatever it was, it killed them. And that was the point. Uh, he hardened his heart again, verse 7 of chapter 9. And now, verse 8, the Eternal said to, Moses, said to Moses and to Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. 
and it shall become small dust in all the land of Mitzrayim, and shall be a boil breaking out forth with blains upon man and upon beasts throughout all the land of Mitzrayim. Same thing that uh, must that must be a very very bad thing, because it's something Satan used on Job, and as one of the last resort things. If, have you ever had a boil? I I don't know that I. I don't think I ever had one, but I've seen them. And they swell up, and oh man, they're awful and painful from what everything that's been said about them. And so if it was the dust that became boils, they probably had boils all over them. But it didn't happen to Israel. Uh, and then he hardened his heart again. So we come to verse 18. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, uh, he, di- he didn't waste any time here. One day, and then they're gone. Next day, let's have something else. Tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as has not been in Mitzrayim since the foundation thereof even till now. Gather your cattle, man and beast. Uh, it was going to be heavy enough hail that it would kill anything that was out in it. And we'll see here, I don't know that I'll necessarily read it all, but it says that the, fa- the hail and the fire that came with it was so grievous that it took all, uh, broke the trees, broke the beast down, smote every herb of the field. It just destroyed all the vegetation. Now, what we're seeing here is the absolutely total ruination of the entire empire. Uh, their animals killed, their vegetation destroyed, uh, nothing to eat. This, this, you know, and these all the insects and various things, this would have just absolutely made it a base nation. And God said it would. He said it'll become a base nation as a result of all this. So, the hail was there, verse 26, only in the land of Goshen was there no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Eternal is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. And he's grudgingly giving a little more and a little more. At first, paying no attention at all. And then finally, uh, entreating to get rid of the flies. And now, after he sees virtually everything in the country demolished by this terrible hail, I've sinned. We're finally getting true to him a little bit. The eternal is righteous. That's quite a bit for a pharaoh or a king or someone in that kind of a position to say. But he still didn't change. Then he said, verse 28, Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hails, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. How long did that last? Verse chapter 10, The Eternal said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him, and that you may tell in the ears of your son and of your son's son what things I have worked in Mitzrayim, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know how that I am the Eternal. comes back to the same thing. And then how often are we reminded of this in the Psalms? Uh, through all the prophecies in the New Testament several times, 
reminded of all that happened in the land of Ham and how God delivered finally, uh, but how hard it was to get Moses, to get Israel, and to get Egypt, or Mitzrayim, to believe that he was God. Verse 7, Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the eternal their God. Know you not yet that Mitzrayim is destroyed? So his advisors, his people around him said, Wake up here, Pharaoh. Don't you realize our land, our country, our people, our empire is destroyed? It's just utterly demolished. Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the eternal your God, but who are they that shall go? Moses said, All of us, hold a feast to God. And he said, Okay. But now it changed again. Verse 12. Still didn't get the point. Said they could go, then they couldn't. Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that may come up on the land of Mitzrayim and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail has left. So the hail splintered it, beat it off the trees, beat it into the ground, and now locusts come and pick up what's left on laying on the ground. So there's no green thing left. So they, the locusts come as a plague and eat everything. So that happened then. And there was no green thing left, and the trees were in the herbs of the field through all the land of Mitzrayim, verse 15. And still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It says that God hardened his heart. Uh, he's, he's already told us here that he was doing this so that it would be so dramatic that you would remember it, tell your sons and your sons' sons, so that this would not be forgotten. That dramatic. Now comes one that would really scare a lot of folks. Verse 21. Number 9. The Eternal said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Mitzrayim, even darkness which may be felt. Not just a moonless night, not just stars shining, absolute, inky, black, Darkness. No visibility whatsoever. Where it's not only you can't see, it's so deep of dark that you can even feel it. Now, a lot of people are afraid of the dark. Uh, I don't know what, what, uh, I don't really even know the word for that one. Claustrophobia is where you're afraid of little places like closets, uh, or whatever. I don't remember the one for, for dark, but people have it. And it was thick darkness for three days. Three days in which you could see absolutely nothing. That would drive some people stark raving mad, completely out of their minds, to have total darkness for three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. So dark, they didn't even get up out of where they were sitting or laying and try to even move about. That's pretty dark. You know, I know my house well enough now that 
it can be dark and me stumbling around asleep and I can still get around the end of the bed into the door or into the bathroom or whatever, uh, even with it pretty dark. But this was such a darkness that they refused to even move. I, we haven't experienced that kind of darkness. That kind of got through to him, verse 24. And Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go you, serve the Eternal. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. Take all the people, but leave your flocks and herds. Well, I can understand why he'd want that, because his had been killed. Moses said, You must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings. We've got to have our animals. We're going to sacrifice to God. We've got to have them, so they've got to go with us. And they will go with us. So now Moses is beginning to put his bargaining chips on the table. I think it's interesting that we have one more plague coming, ten. He gave us ten commandments and ten plagues. Uh, If you won't obey God, you won't recognize who He is, you won't keep His rules, maybe you get ten plagues, one for each commandment that you won't keep. Chapter 11, well, let's see, verse 29 of 10 is an interesting statement. Moses, uh, he told him, I don't want to see you in your face again, just go. And then in 29, Moses said, you have spoken well, I will see your face again no more. In other words, Pharaoh didn't mean it that way. He meant, go out, do your feast, and come back. I don't want to see your face until you go and are back. Uh, so that this stuff stops. But Moses said, you're right. I'll never see your face again. And that was correct. He never did see me, Pharaoh's face after that. Chapter 11. The Eternal said to Moses, yet will I... I think that's true, is it not? After that, I think they sent messengers back and forth because... Uh, well, let's, let's see here. Maybe I, I'm not, I might be mistaking that. The Eternal said to Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Mitzrayim. Afterwards he will let you go. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out altogether. Uh, it's not only going to be permission. This time it's going to be thrust out. Go or die. Uh, that's how desperate it gets after this next one. Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man... Uh, spoil or borrow his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver, jewels of gold. So he told them ahead of time, before Passover even, uh, that they were to start collecting the uh, valuables of the of the uh, Mitzrayimites. And the Eternal gave the people favor in the sight of the Mitzrayimites. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So the people were seeing what was going on, and even though they'd suffered the plagues, they realized Moses had been a great man, and that he still was. Look what was happening. So God made those people inclined to give them uh, of whatever they had that was valuable. Moses said, Thus says the Eternal, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Mitzrayim, And all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. 
So he said all the cattle and the so on died before in that murrain, but there were still some beasts there. I don't know exactly what he meant when he said all. Maybe it was a generality where it meant uh, the majority of or most all. Uh, you look out and, you know, my animals are all gone. Well, maybe there's a few left, but but you'd say that. Uh, they're all dead. They're all gone. What happened? But maybe there were some left alive because they're referred to here. And if they brought chariots later on, they had horses. Where did those come from? So I don't know that you can say when God says all, that that's the exact meaning of that. But what it meant was pretty much total devastation. Uh, there'll be a great cry in verse 6, and such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know how that the Eternal does put a difference between the Mitzriamites and Israel. So if they moved around in the dark, not even a dog would bark at them. God's making it pretty obvious here, if you want to listen. Uh, Let's see here now. Verse 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down themselves to me, saying, Get you out, and all the people that follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And the Eternal said to Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So he did go out from Pharaoh here, so maybe that's not a true statement there where it says, your face will, will see me again no more. What did it mean then? Why did he say that? Uh, maybe it was a general statement. You're right, we're going to go away, and after we go away, you'll never see me again. Uh, not just to keep this feast, but we're not coming back. In other words, you'll not see me again. Uh, I, maybe I had that thought. I think I got it. Somebody had said that one time years and years ago that that he didn't face him again, and Pharaoh was, of course, going to die. So there wouldn't be any more relationship after that. But maybe it uh, didn't mean in the immediate future there, but a little, a few days later. Verse 9, the Eternal said to Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Mitzriah. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Eternal hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. So they faced some very great obstacles uh, in getting out of there. And we're going to face some obstacles. We already do in, in trying to obey God in the society we're in. It's very difficult, very hard. Uh, some things are difficult to deal with. And now our society is beginning to come apart. And if you think we've had trouble up till now, uh, you haven't seen anything yet. Things are going to get a whole lot worse, just as they did there. And... This world and Satan does not want to turn us loose. And after all that we go through, 
when he is cast down for the last time, and it's time to flee from Jerusalem into the hills of Judea up here, what's he going to do? He's going to come after us with a vengeance. He knows who we are. He knows God's people. He knows where God's Spirit is. He can see it. He's aware of it. Uh, we, we don't see, we don't have halos we can see, but Satan can recognize the Spirit of God. It's obvious to him in whatever form. So he is going to chase and try to kill every last uh, son of God, every last Christian, true Christian. Uh, so he's not going to turn loose easily, just like Pharaoh came out at the, the end of this story and tried to kill every Israelite. And then got swallowed up in the Red Sea, and it says a flood will come out and destroy the army that Satan sends after his people. Well, the, the story gets played out over and over again the same. Uh, to me, that's kind of part of the interest in going through these chapters again, is seeing them in the light of what happened then and, and tying them with all these things that are about to happen very shortly now to us and people like us. Uh, we're going to go through all these things again in pretty much the same way. Uh, so, uh, there's a lot to review here and to try to put forward and realize, hey, these people had a tough time, we're going to have a tough time, but let's not get too far ahead of the story and see what else they go through here uh, through the rest of these days and what God does for them, because that's the encouraging part, ultimately. Okay, we've reached time, so let's, uh, let's stop for this evening. Well, the Murrain, though, says they all died. Didn't it? Now, that could just be uh, not real good Hebrew or not good translation, too. Let's see. You'll settle it. Yeah, in verse 6, The Eternal did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died, but the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. And what, where was the hail? Yeah, and the hail came after that. So obviously in chapter 9, verse 6, when it said all the cattle died, that must be a bad translation or something because, because the hail uh, didn't kill the ones that they put inside. So that, that might be worth looking up in the Hebrew to see exactly what he's saying there. It's a cyclical. It's just a cycle. Yeah, we'll get over it. We'll be fine. I saw a guy on a bicycle today or a tricycle, whatever he had, there in Hurricane, and 
it said, God bless America, and then he had all these political things, you know, like they put over on trucks or something once in a while. And I, I drove by and I said, why would God bless America? <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's an expression we use so commonly.